afternoon to you. I'm Al Cresta. Uh, there's no doubt that American Christianity, especially in the second half of the 20th century and, and com- coming right up to the millennium and now into the uh, 21st century, American Christianity, especially Protestant Christianity, has had a strong fascination with the immediate, near, uh, imminent return of Jesus, the an end times climax to history. And in the 1970s, uh, Hal Lindsey's book, The Late Great Planet Earth, uh, was not only the best-selling religious book of the decade, but it turned out to be the biggest-selling book, secular and religious, of the 1970s. And uh, then we had, of course, the, um, the uh, later series, Left Behind series made into a movie and a, a raft of different books. So the preoccupation with the end of the age, uh, the end of history, uh, the climax of the human experience uh, has been big, at least within American uh, Christianity. And, of course, we've also seen over the last generation various secular types of ends, uh, we had the, uh, the certainly env- environmental apocalyptic scenarios uh, where the earth was going to uh, die under the uh, burden of mankind's technology and development. We had the, uh, the controversy over the Mayan calendar. So there's been many, many people concerned about the end of history. Uh, when, when is the end? What are the signs of the end? Well, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus, in fact, answers those questions. When is the end, and what are the signs? And I've asked to join me today David Curry. David is uh, the author of when, uh, What Jesus Really Said About the End of the World. Uh, David also is the author of an earlier testimony book, Born Fundamentalist, Born Again Catholic. He grew up uh, as a preacher's kid and uh, attended a Protestant seminary. After years of looking at the biblical and theological material, he was freely received into the Catholic Church with his family. He's a best-selling author, a research fellow with the St. Paul Center of Biblical Theology, and uh, you hear him frequently on Catholic Radio. Dave, good to have you with me. Thanks. Al, thanks for having me with you. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. This, uh, this ch- Matthew chapter 24 is a very expansive discourse of Jesus, about the end and the signs of the end. Uh, why don't you let's? Why don't we take it as you structure it in the book, and that is according to the two questions that Jesus is asked at the beginning of uh, Matthew twenty-four by his disciples. They want to know uh, when will Jesus, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign of his coming. Before we go there, those. We know that Jesus says that uh, this generation will not pass away until these things are fulfilled. So the first question is, so we don't waste any more time, was Jesus mistaken since that generation passed away? Well, Al, that's actually the crux of why I wrote the book. Um, and And I think we're talking about this at a very good time, too, because actually next year, 2018, Mm-hmm. is the 70th anniversary of the founding of Jerusalem, ah. or of, of the Israeli state. Yes. Um, so there's going to be an upswing in in the Protestants sort of coming out of the woodwork on this issue, saying, hey, maybe 70 years is a generation, and, and maybe the rapture is going to occur right. at, at any moment. But um, uh, to get back to your question, 
was Jesus mistaken? That's actually why I wrote the book. I met a college uh, girl that told me that uh, that Jesus was mistaken, that she'd been taught in Catholic school that Jesus was mistaken hmm. and that Paul was mistaken, and uh, and that they expected the, the second coming to occur in their lifetimes. And so, uh, since it didn't happen, um, you know, the moral teachings of the Church are suspect as well. And, mm-hmm. Uh, she was not alone in that in that thinking. There's been people all through history that have said that. Uh, Russell was a, a famous uh, atheist that that taught that. Even C.S. Lewis thought that perhaps Jesus was was mistaken. He said these verses are embarrassing. They're the most embarrassing <laughs> verses right. um, in the New Testament, and, and he didn't uh, he didn't really quite know how to handle them. Um, so so uh, there have been people throughout history that have felt. Uh, that Jesus was mistaken and that the early church was mistaken. However, um, how I approach the the passage is the same way that Augustine and Aquinas approached the passage. And almost all the church fathers fall into this category, and that is that Jesus is really being asked two different questions. Okay. The disciples probably didn't understand it at that point, uh, but, but that by the time they had written... The, uh, the New Testament, that was clear. So that the New Testament writers were clear on what they were writing, um, even though the disciples probably were not clear when they were asking When they were the asking, questions. yeah. Okay. So they asked three clauses, and, and it's really two questions, and you've laid that out really well. Um, you know, when is this going to happen? Because Jesus talks about the destruction of the temple. Mm-hmm. And then the second question, so when's the destruction of the temple going to come? And then the second one is, when will the end of the age come? When will the final curtain on history fall? Mm-hmm. It seems like they may have thought that that was the same thing, but Jesus obviously did not. And people, when they go to the passage, sometimes ignore the fact that in the structure of that Matthew passage, there's very clear structural um, delineations between the, those two answers that Jesus gives. Um, the the uh, the first one is is that he he gives a uh, a phrase at the beginning and at the end of his answer about the first question, and that's what you mentioned that this this generation mm-hmm. uh, this will come upon this generation that comes in verse thirty six of chapter twenty three, and then we see that at the very end of the passage in verse thirty four of the next chapter twenty four so. When he says, truly, this generation will not pass away till all these things take place. So everything that happens between those two phrases is referring to 70 A.D. And uh, And why is 70 A.D. so important? 70 A.D. is sort of the day that we don't, the the date that we don't really think about a whole lot, because Scripture doesn't specifically speak about it um, as what actually happened, and as a a conservative biblical uh, uh, theologian, I would say that that's because most of the Scripture was written before that event occurred. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was when the it became clear to all of, uh, of the ancient world that Judaism had been supplanted by Christianity, that Judaism was not uh, the way to get to God, we didn't go through the temple because the temple was destroyed. Uh, and So that's the, the climactic event, then. Right. It's yeah. the end of, it's the definitive public end 
of the old covenant. Yeah, so it's the um, end of the age in that sense. It's, yeah. In that sense, it's the end of the age, or to put it in another way, to a Jew, it was the end of the world. Right. It was the end of his world. His world never, never, ever became the same. This uh, is, uh, I think uh, this is actually hard for people to understand that uh, the 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 role that the temple played in the cosmology of uh, you know the, uh, first century Jews, uh, but when you say that was the end of their world, I mean that's that tells you the significance uh, of the role of the temple. Yes, it was it was really everything. In fact, the, to an ancient Jew, the reason the sun rose, the reason that the government can, you know, was able to, 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 to keep chaos at bay, the reason that everything worked is because the sacrifices were occurring in the temple. Mm-hmm. When those sacrifices couldn't occur because, obviously, the temple had been destroyed by the Romans, um, that was the end of everything that they believed in. Yeah. And the Jew of today doesn't have the same faith as the Jew of the first century, because that was a sacrificial system, and really it's not. It's more of, a, of an ethical, moral system right. uh, that the modern-day Jew has. So it was. It was the total end of the, uh, of the world to them, and it was when Nero declared war on Jerusalem, because Jerusalem had, had revolted in 70 A.D. Actually, it started in 67 A.D., the revolt occurred in 66, the war started in 67, and it was a, uh, a three-and-a-half-year war, which had been predicted by Daniel way back in, in uh, five, five six hundred years earlier, mm-hmm. uh, three-and-a-half-year war that overthrew Jerusalem. Uh, the temple fell first. It was engulfed in flames, and then there was 30 days of, of guerrilla warfare inside the streets of Jerusalem, and then Rome had finally ended up be, being totally victorious. Uh, and at that moment, uh, the Jew- Jewish world ended. But because Jesus had warned in Matthew 24 his disciples to get out of Jerusalem when they saw this starting to occur, uh, Eusebius tells us that not a single Christian died in that war hmm. because they were all gone. They left. They, left, they, they, they were tipped off by this prophecy. Were, exactly, <laughs> um, and it's, it's the famous passage of you know, don't go upstairs to get you know to get your belongings. Don't go inside to get your belongings. Yeah. Just run for your life and pray that it's not uh, that, that your wife is not pregnant. Pray that it's not in the winter time. Pray that it's not on the Sabbath. Yeah. Um, just run, and and the historians tell us that that is actually what happened. The uh, early Christians looked at the what was going on in Jerusalem, and they said, this is the time Jesus told us about. We've got to get out now. Mm-hmm. And they literally ran for their lives to Pella, uh, kind of Jordan, and uh, were spared all that happened to Jerusalem and the Jews that stayed. Let me ask you about some of the language here, then, because uh, I, think that reads, I, I think that reads exactly as you say, as I, I go through it. We come to, the, to this language of cosmological collapse, if you will. The sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory, send his angels or messengers with a loud trumpet call. How does that play into the destruction of the temple? Okay, 
Um, it certainly sounds like the end of everything, doesn't it? Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, especially to our 21st century years. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we have to realize is that the Old Testament for those Jews that Jesus was talking to was not just their history, it was their history, but it was also their religious heritage. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything that they knew about the world came from the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. So this, this passage... Jesus is actually using Old Testament apocalyptic language. In fact, hold it it there, Dave. We'll come back and pick that up. Because I can remember uh, when when it first dawned on me (laughs) that the language being used here had been used previously under other circumstances for the collapse of orders, and it was very liberating. And a good afternoon to you. I'm Al Cresta with David Curry. David is the author of What Jesus Really Said About the End of the World. And that's what we're talking about here, looking at the extended discourse of Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, where he's asked by his disciples, um, when will uh, the disciples ask him, um, tell us when will this happen? And referencing here the destruction of the temple, when the temple will collapse. And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So we were talking at the close of last segment about 70 A.D. and the destruction of the temple and how Christians uh, had been tipped off to this, and so they were no longer in Jerusalem and escaped the destruction um, that happened to the temple and to many of the Jewish people. But in Jesus' discourse, he uses language which many people think is too much to apply to the collapse of the temple. And again, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not, will not give its light, stars will fall from the sky, Son of Man will appear in the sky, all the nations of the earth will mourn, Son of Man will come on the clouds of sky with power and great glory, etc., etc. So I asked David just before the uh, close of the last segment, how are those striking passages compatible with the end of the age, which did occur in 70 AD with the destruction of the temple. And David, you were talking about apocalyptic language. Yes, and and when we put Jesus' words into the context of the Old Testament prophecies, um, it becomes pretty clear what's actually going on here. Uh, Nahum uses this, this kind of language, Ezekiel uses this kind of language, Probably Isaiah is the most prominent uh, example of this kind of language. Um, And let's take Isaiah as an example. Isaiah uses almost these exact kind of words, Mm -hmm. the moon, uh, you know, not giving light, and the sun being darkened, to refer to the fall of Babylon Mm -hmm. when the Medo-Persians conquer it. And he says, you know, the sun's going to stop shining, and the moon's going to fall out of the sky, and, you know, uh, the stars are going to be... Uh, going to be gone, and what it becomes clear when you take Isaiah and compare it to Ezekiel and you compare it to Nahum uh, is that all of them are using the celestial bodies mm-hmm. as symbols of earthly kings and queens and governors and the order, the political order mm-hmm. that they live in. Right. Yep. And so Isaiah is saying, <coughs> when Medo-Persia comes, you know, the sun will be dark. Well, what does that mean? The, the Babylonian king will be supplanted. 
And it sounds sort of strange to us, but that's exactly how the language is used in the Old Testament, and Jesus uses that language here. So when we understand that, what is Jesus saying here? That all of the, the political structure that you know of in Israel or, or Judea at that time will be destroyed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. to a, a Jew, the high priest being deposed, the temple being obliterated, you know, the Sanhedrin being gone, uh, the leadership of of Judea being either killed or sold into slavery, that was stars falling. That from was the their sky. universe, yeah. That was yeah. their universe. And when we put Jesus' uh, words into the context of the Old Testament, it becomes real clear he's talking about a political upheaval. Yeah. There won't just be uh, an, uh, you know, a new election. There won't be a new president. <laughs> yeah. The presidency will be demolished. Right. Right. Um, then but, he goes on, one, one other thing that, that uh, I did want to just mention is sure. that he says, you will see the Son of Man coming right. on the clouds of heaven. And uh, in the book, we won't get into all of this, but in the, in the book I talk about the fact that all throughout Christian history it's been understood that there are various comings of Christ. Right. There's obviously the first coming. We all know about the first advent mm-hmm. when he came as a baby. We all know about the second advent which is when he will come again in glory. But uh, ever since the early Church, they've talked about the various comings. Christ comes to us in the sacraments. Right. Uh, I believe in the real presence. Our, uh, Al, I know you believe in sure. the real presence. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he comes. He really comes. Um, uh, Pope Benedict, in his book, uh, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, talked about seven comings that we can actually delineate. And uh, so... Jesus comes in the sacraments. Jesus comes in holy people. Jesus comes in the Word. That's why we stand for the Gospel, because Jesus is coming. Um, but there's a, 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 a coming when he comes in judgment. And this is what this is talking about yes. here, that Jesus is going to come in judgment, on that when that Roman army destroys Jerusalem, the eyes of faith will see that as the coming of Christ in judgment. As he said to the Sanhedrin at his trial, you know, you will see the Son of Man uh, sitting on the right hand of the Father. Um, You will know that what you did here tonight was wrong. Hmm. So they would have heard that as a judgment passage on them, is that right? Yes, exactly. That's exactly how it would have been understood when you put it into the Old Testament context mm-hmm. um, and, and understand the, the various different comings of what Jesus, uh, Jesus taught. Now, uh, continu- continuing on then in the chapter, uh, Jesus makes a, a big point uh, about saying, I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. And what you're saying is that in se- that is true. That generation was still standing at 70 A.D.? Exactly. Yep. Um, we, he said these words in somewhere between 30 and 33 A.D., mm-hmm. and all of these things that he describes in this passage happened between 66 and 70 A.D. Yeah. So yeah. that's definitely within a generation, so, you know, less than 40 years between the yeah. end of the one and the beginning of the next. Um, so it's, it's definitely all in one generation. And I think historians would agree that most of the people... Uh, that were in leadership positions when 70 A.D. occurred, had been around when Jesus was around. Yeah. 
No, so, um, sure, I mean, the, the you know, people die and, and things like that, but yes, it was definitely easily within a generation. If you take generations of 40-year time, it's within that. If you take generations of 70-year time, it's definitely within that. Now, he says no one knows about the day or hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. And yet then he goes on to give information, at least describe the circumstances, and it was clear that uh, Christians had been tipped off a bit. So what, on the one hand, he's given us some hints, signs, but he's also saying no one knows about the day or the hour. Right, and and I would say that that um, that the day and the hour is, excuse me, the very beginning of the second question being answered. Okay, there's a very uh, clear delineation, even in English, you can pick it up here, in in verse 35 when he ends up with heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Right, he's sort of saying, hey, you know, I'm what I'm saying is more sure than than the very dirt you're standing on. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, he's sort of emphasizing everything that he said up to then. And then all of a sudden, and he's given all these signs. He's given signs of how what they would expect to happen as these things started to, to roll out. There will mm-hmm. be wars. There will be tribulations. There will be false teachers. There will be famines. Um, you know, all these, all these things that are sort of leading up to 70 A.D., and then, right after that, in verse 36, he says, But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of, of heaven, nor of the sun. And my contention would be is he's past that second half of the inclusio. Remember, we talked about the inclusio, where it says this generation right at the beginning of the passage, and this generation right at the end of the passage. Right. We're now past that, which tells us he's, he's gone from the first question, and he's now into the second question. Okay. And the second question is, well, Jesus, when is the end, end of the age? When, when are you going to come back at the, at the end of time? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, all of a sudden, if you look, there are no signs. Interesting. In the first half of the passage, he gives eight signs. In the second half of the passage, there are no signs. In fact, over and over again, he says, things are going to be normal. People are going to be eating. People are going to be marrying. People are going to be partying. People are going to be working. And all of a sudden, without any warning, I will come back. Hmm. And he goes over and over and over on this theme, uh, all the way till he gets to the to the separation of the goats and the sheep in the in, in the, the grand point. judgment. Yeah, um, yeah. The next goes, chapter. Yeah. yeah, and he goes back and forth, back and forth to the constantly saying, "Things are going to be seem normal, and then I'm going to come. Things are going to seem normal, and then I'm going to come." And he gives parables to explain that. And he's answering that second question. And the answer to the second question is, we don't know when Christ is going to come back. Hmm. But, but we know that no one will expect it. What then, in this period of time from 70 A.D. up through the era that we're in, what is the relationship of the kingdom to our experience in the Church? I'm not sure I understand your question. The 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 church. Are you asking the the kingdom of Israel? No, uh, the the full the fullness. Jesus inaugurates the kingdom at his uh, at the incarnation. Yes, and this kingdom is will eventually be manifest in its fullness at the conclusion of history. 
So what I'm wondering then is, in our empirical world here, what is the relationship between our experience as church and its relationship to the kingdom that's in our midst? Okay. Um, Jesus did uh, inaugurate the kingdom, and some people have said um, Jesus promised the kingdom and all we ended up with was the (laughs) church. (laughs) Right, right, yeah. And I couldn't disagree uh, more. Jesus inaugurated the kingdom, and we ended up with the church. I mean, the church is the physical manifestation uh, of the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. Uh, The kingdom of God is centered, of course, where the king is, which is in heaven, but it also happens to be in every... Uh, Catholic Mass, yep. that Christ is there in his real presence. So we're sort of like the outposts uh, of the kingdom that is centered in heaven. Yeah, every, and, and he, he's, at every Eucharist, he's coming. He's coming, yeah. exactly. You know, one of those, those different kinds of comings. So our job is to uh, further the kingdom here, um, because we know that we're really not of this world, mm-hmm. that we are of a... Of a of an eternal kingdom that, that has been founded, and it's our job to, to uh, further its goals. David, thank you. That's great stuff, and uh, I really appreciate you joining me today. And I would urge people to get the book, uh, What Jesus Really Said About the End of the World, by David Curry. We'll talk again, David. Thanks. Thank you, Al. I'm Al Cresta. There's more coming. <laughs>